back to our seats. All right, you guys again, my name is Pastor Rich, lead pastor here, and we are in for a special treat this week. I got any Dallas Cowboy fans out here? Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. (laughs) See, y'all need to cheer more for worship than you do your Cowboys, because that will fade away. But Jesus, let me stop preaching. Anyway, we have have a special uh, Sunday this morning. We have uh, a special guest speaker. A family that's here with us is Brian and, uh, Pastor Brian and Siobhan Taylor from Cincinnati, Ohio. We have actually entered a fellowship and, and relationship with them a couple years ago. We took a team of people up. They were part of a church plant in Cincinnati. An amazing couple, and God. Uh, they took their house from Orlando, moved it to uh, Cincinnati. So let's plant church in the middle of the city. Uh, if you didn't know them, they have three children, Elijah, Saniah, and Joshua. All you'd be on all below eight years old, nine. Yeah. So and they did all that and planned a church. So uh, that's how you do it. One, two, three. Have all the kids and you plan a church. Right. He said doesn't recommend that anyway. But um, yesterday we had, we had a couple of breakouts. We had the ladies. How many ladies were at a ladies breakfast? And Siobhan was able to share. And um, also Brian came out to the men's um, luncheon. Um, it was, there you go. These guys in here anyway. But. One thing, um, he's going to share some more, but one thing I want to really say about the blessing of them being here with us. Um, there are a couple, wisdom beyond their years. But the most important thing I want to say, they've become great friends to me and Miss Donna. And friends are hard to come by. And they bless, we even have such a great weekend and we're going to be actually doing this every single year. Uh, they didn't know that yet, but this is their, uh, they love West Texas, so, uh, and we love them. So can we give them a, a GPC welcome for Pastor Brian? Hey, I, I figure since I'm in Texas, I'm not going to have an average size water bottle. I'm going to. Everything's big. Bam. There we go. I am in Texas now. Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> Go Bengals. Um, <laughs> it's hard being in Cincinnati and not being a Bengals fan. I just have to let you know that. Um, anyway, I am I'm certainly, my wife and I, my wife Siobhan right there in the front. Um, had a chance to, to, she was here yesterday ministering as well. And uh, we've been trying to make this happen for a while in terms of coming here. And uh, we have definitely been enjoying our West Texas experience. Um, I do have to say, um, how Pastor Rich just described us, we feel really mutually towards him and Miss Donna. You guys have amazing pastors and leaders here. And um, sometimes it's, sometimes, yeah, you should clap. Sometimes it helps to have somebody come from the outside and just let you know just how blessed you are with the type of leaders. They love God. They deeply love God. And they love you all as well. So, um, you know, one of the things that, um, that we really appreciate, not just them, but really just this church as a whole, because as mentioned before, um, you guys brought a team all the way. And I don't think you flew either. I think you drove. Okay. How, how many hours was that, LJ? 18 hours um, to come to be a part of um, some outreaches that we were doing in Cincinnati. We first started there. We uprooted uh, our family from Orlando, Florida, and um, went to Cincinnati, Ohio to start a church. And 
You guys were really an instrumental part just helping us to launch and get off the ground. So before I got into my sermon today, I thought it'd be great to show you a few pictures because these are really your testimonies as well. So um, here we are. This uh, Over to the left, all the way to the left is um, Dr. Steve. That's our associate pastor. And uh, actually, Elijah, our oldest son, is right in the back. See, we, we are a family-friendly church, so kids are just right there. Now, typically, our baptisms, um, we do them in a horse trough. Um, outside. So um, being that we live in the state of Ohio, um, a lot of people just don't get baptized in the winter. Um, But uh, this is Brandon. um, His life has been changed. He's grown as a leader. He's really a leader in his midst. Him and his wife just had a a baby. Keep going to the next one. Um, That's just us praying. So the way that we do it, we're right on our front lawn, and uh, we have everybody come out front, and um, we'll actually do it. It's actually an evangelistic type of moment for us as well. So um, so we've been seeing some lives change. Um, next slide. Um, that was <laughs> Van, uh, Van and his wife, Bree, right over there to, um, um, over the left. Um, and then we have Tamara, who's also our administrator. These are just some amazing people. We were actually having, I'm a chaplain for the um, University of Cincinnati Bearcats and, um, for, for my other job. And uh, really enjoyed just getting a chance to go out there and preach the gospel and see them. So this was right before they were going into camp. We held a service for them um, right there before they got on the buses to go over to, um, to their camp. And then I'll show a couple more pictures here. And that's one of the volleyball players that was worshiping God. She was in it. Keep going. Um, this is actually where we have service. In fact, our service right now is ending up. We're an hour ahead of you, so they're getting ready to end up. Uh, we were having our Celebrate the Nation service. Um, God has blessed us to be able to see people from different nations starting to come in, especially from the college campuses. So uh, we had an opportunity to have our own Celebrate the Nations moment. Uh, next slide. Um, some of our wonderful, um, mostly students, not all of them are students, but um, just some of their international um, time that we had there. And then next, that was um, last year's Campus Harvest, the conference formerly known as Campus Harvest, um, which I, if you're a college student in here, how many college students do we have? How many people like college students? Well, all of you, I encourage you to go. Uh, we had an amazing time. We had an amazing time there. Um, um, we actually brought 33 from our group. Um, the, the year before, we brought four. And um, just talking to our campus ministers, they're saying, look, we're believing God for 60 students. So I said, all right, my faith is with you. So um, um, we're actually going to be at the same conference, so I expect to actually see uh, quite a few of you there uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. So is that, is that the last slide? Okay, that's the last slide. So um, anyway, I share those. I wanted to share that before we started because those aren't just my testimonies that I bring to you here from Cincinnati. These are your testimonies as well. And your reach extends far beyond Abilene. And I want you guys to realize that. So as we see pictures and you see faces, you may not be able to put names with faces, but there's a lot of lives that have been impacted and changed. People who are still connected from the outreaches that happened um, a year and a half or uh, however long it was. Was it almost two years ago already? Wow. Um, so, cause we've, we've only, so we just started because we only existed since September 2013. So uh, you guys came right after we began. So let's go ahead and get into our sermon today, and, um, and I'll go ahead and start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've been able to see and what we've been able to experience and be a part of. Lord, I thank you, God, for the lives that have been transformed here in Abilene, Texas. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing all the way in Cincinnati, God, we thank you that your kingdom um, will come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And Lord, I'm asking as we go into this word today, Lord, that we'll have more than information, but that we'll have transformation. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I actually had a chance to go to a movie. And it was one of those movies where you have a, a, you know, you read the book before you actually go and see the movie. You guys ever do that? Now, I typically don't do that. My wife does, unless the movie is about the Bible, because I do read my Bible. So, um, um, but I did one of those things that I really has, is frustrating to me, but um, I was guilty of doing this. And that was asking questions in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Are any of you guys that person that asks questions in the middle of the movie? And you don't have to turn to the right or to the left because you might be sitting next to someone who's like that. But you know how it is. You ask questions because you haven't been watching the series or you haven't seen the previous movie or you haven't read the book. And so when you get in a moment like that, what you begin to do is you begin asking questions. And here's the reason why you do that. Because no matter how entertaining or exciting the scene that you're watching is, If you're not able to take that scene and connect it into the larger context of the greater story, then you will not find the true significance of what's happening right in front of you. Now, the reason I use that analogy is because I think this is what, um, for many people, Christmas season is like for for us. We, We get pieces of different scenes. We, we know about, okay, wasn't, you know, a baby in a manger and, you know, wasn't there um, like shepherd, you know, something like that, or at least sheep or, you know, or what is, you know, something going on there. So we get bits and pieces of the Christmas story, but many times we fail to capture the significance of what God is doing in Christmas because we don't connect it to the larger story of what God has been doing to redeem his people throughout human history. And so as we talk today about the shepherd who became a lamb, what my hope is, is that we'll be able to help make that connection in a larger um, um, standpoint. When we see the Christmas story, we will see the story of how God has gone to extremes to rescue his people. And if anything we walk out of here today is, I want us to walk away with the idea that God was willing to go to any extreme to rescue his people. Amen? So once we get into Matthew once we get into the gospel, we, we come into Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, before you start getting into the details of the birth of Jesus, you come across what's known as the genealogies. Anybody really excited about the genealogies? Now, let's just be honest. These typically aren't the scriptures that you post on Facebook, right? You know, it starts off, Jesus, right? Jesus the, the, uh, um, Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Then it starts going, Abraham um, was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And I'm not going to go all the way down through, but it starts going through all the genealogies of who's the father, of who's the father, of who's the father. And then it gets to verse 17. And verse 17 is like the summary of all the genealogy to Jesus Christ. So it talks about from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the deportation, I'll explain what that means later, deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. The deportation to the birth of the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, it's easy to skip over those things because really it becomes kind of tedious. But if we're not careful, we skip over, we miss something because what's happening in the genealogies, it's telling us a story. Because before we get into verse 18, what we're having here in the verse 17 verses is that it's helping us to connect the birth of Jesus to what God has been doing throughout the course of history. And God's plan throughout the course of history to redeem people. 
You know, I love how um, this Old Testament scholar named Christopher Wright puts it. He says, the Old Testament tells a story that Jesus completes. And so what we see here is is a story, and I want to just pull up. Don't worry, I won't spend all my time on the genealogies. But I I do want to set something up to help us understand some context as we get into our sermon here today. In verse 17, we see Abraham. Now, who is Abraham? Abraham was what's known as the father of many nations. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God gave a promise to Abraham. He said, through you, all the nations and families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so God had a plan in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of pain. He makes a promise that through the lineage of Abraham, God's intention was to bless the world. That's interesting, the timing of that, because it was in the midst of a downward spiral of sin that you see in humanity, and God's plan was still to bless the world. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob was later renamed Israel. Israel became a great nation, and out of that nation, there was a king called David. Now, you may notice David there in verse 17 as well, but why is David significant? Because David was a man after God's own heart, and God gave David a promise. And here's what he said to David. He said that you are always going to have someone on your throne forever that'll be, um, one of your heirs will be on the throne forever. Now, what is the significance of that? Is that the people of Israel were expecting that through the lineage of David, God was going to come to rescue his people. Now, you get down to the deportation the deportation to Babylon all about? Well, because of the rebellion of God's chosen people, the Israelites, in 587 B.C., if you don't remember the date, that's fine, but in 587 B.C., they were captured by the Babylonians. And from that time, from 587 B.C. all the way up to Matthew chapter 1, the people of Israel were now in captivity or, in, or being over, um, in, in, in dominated, so to speak, by other world powers. So you had the Babylonian Empire, then you had the Persian Empire, then you had Alexander the Great and the influence of the Greek culture, and, and I know I'm skipping for the history buffs, but in 63 BC, you had the Roman Empire. So by the time we get to Matthew chapter 1, here's what's taking place. You have the people who know that God has made a promise to Abraham that through them that they're going to be a blessing to the world. They know that there's going to be someone coming through the lineage of David that's going to always be on the throne. But they also know the pain and the despair of always being under the thumb of somebody else. And it's in that context that they were looking for salvation. Now, when we get beyond the the genealogies, in verse 18 through 20, what we have is you have Joseph, who's now having an encounter with, um, he's having an encounter with an angel. He's getting ready to put away his wife, or soon-to-be wife, because he realizes that she's pregnant. Now, I know that we, we talk about the virgin birth a lot around here, especially during Christmas time, but I want you to understand that he didn't have the chapters in the book that he could flip ahead to and see what was happening. So without an angel giving some kind of explanation, how many guys know that there might be a little bit of problems there? So uh, the angel comes and explains who this child in the womb of Mary really is, and I want to lock in on verse 21. Let's read verse 21 together, or you can look together, and I'll read it. Um, It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus in the original language would have been Yeshua. The name Jesus actually means the Lord saves. Yahweh is salvation. 
And so I want you to understand in context, there was an expectation and a hope for many that God was going to one day bring salvation. But God was going to do it in a way that they didn't expect. It wasn't going to be through political maneuvering. And it wasn't going to be through military might. It was going to be through Jesus himself becoming a lamb. It was going to be through Jesus offering his life, laying it down on behalf of other people. You know, um, the, the, the term lamb as a name has been seen all throughout Scripture. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is walking with his, uh, and his cousin John the Baptist sees him. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, what he's referring to is the fact that Jesus Christ was going to lay his life down on behalf of the world, and that was going to be the means by which salvation was going to come. Because what they understood was that although the bondages of the Roman Empire were great, the shackles caused by sin were even greater. And Jesus was going to free his people, but he was going to do it in a way that they didn't expect. You know, one of the things that's important for us to understand is the, the, the importance of us being honest and dealing with sin. I heard somebody say it like this before. Um, many times we have a small view of our Savior because we have a small view of our sin. Okay, I'll say that again. If you have a small view of your sin, I'll say this in a different way. You have a small view of your sin, you'll have a small view of your salvation. You have a small view of your salvation, you'll have a small view of your Savior. And so the idea of saying, yeah, Jesus Christ, he comes to save, doesn't really mean much if you don't understand your need to be rescued. You know, I can remember um, a few years back when we were living in Orlando. Um, some of you may know this. I don't know. In Florida, um, at least last I checked, they do what's called free windshield replacement. Um, and so it was one of those days. I was coming back from work, and you know how it is. My, uh, my kids are, are small now, but they were even smaller then. So um, it was one of those days after work, rainy. I just want to get inside. And so I saw a guy who was coming from house to house, and um, I was already I was still outside, so I couldn't act like I didn't see him. And uh, so, he, so he came, and um, he's like, you know, I want to talk to you guys about free windshield replacement. And I remember thinking, you know, my car's right over there. I actually have a windshield. Thanks. And he kept, well, do you mind if I check it? Can I check your windshield? Have at it. Went inside my house. And uh, as I'm inside my house, a little bit later, he comes knocking on the door. Um, Sir, can I show you something on your windshield? I'm like, yeah. So he shows me this little, little dot on my windshield. Now, he was a good salesman, too. He showed me this little dot on my windshield. He said, you see that? I was like, Oh, yeah, a little bump right here. He's like, yeah, that could, that could shatter. I was like, okay, well, maybe you can come and fix that little piece right there. He's like, no, the only way you can fix this piece in the windshield is really to replace the entire windshield and to get you a brand new one. So as he talked, and again, he was talking about, well, you got kids in the car. You don't want to run over or something, and it shatters, and, you know, and uh, he, he was good. And I remember thinking, so, so how much are those windshields again? Now, now, here's what I want you to understand. The point of this is this. I didn't, I didn't appreciate what he had to offer until I recognized that there was a need for it. And the reason why some of us have a hard time getting excited in worship or getting excited when we talk about Jesus or even during Christmas time is because we fail to understand how much we need to be rescued from our sins. 
So I want to talk, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how Jesus Christ as the Lamb brings us salvation. I'm talking about a couple of things here. Um, one, Jesus was a willing sacrifice. He was a willing sacrifice. Um, I want to look at uh, John chapter 10. I, I love this passage. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Let's see if we have it on the screen here. If not. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Okay. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Now, that right there ought to just make you just kind of, uh, just, I lay down my life so I might take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay, down my own, uh, lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. I mean, that, that's pretty powerful right there. See, sometimes we can, we can think about Jesus going to the cross and just like, poor Jesus. Poor little Jesus, meek and mild. And yes, he's a lamb, but make no mistake about it. He said, I will lay my own life down. You can't take my life. And guess what? When I'm ready, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick it back up again. And so Jesus does it on his own. He says, I, I will lay down my life. The difference between Jesus as a sacrificial lamb and the lambs that were offered, the other lambs that were offered, you know what? They had no choice in the matter. Jesus willingly did it. How many of us would willingly put ourselves in harm's way like that? I love, we read a scripture during um, the Advent moment, and I thought that was a, just a, um, just really an amazing explanation of understanding the Advent moment, but we referenced Philippians chapter 2. And I love what um, chapter uh, 2, verse 5 through 11, it talks about, have the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That means he laid aside his godly privileges. And then it goes a little bit further, and it talks about how, um, how Jesus Christ, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus laying his life down was him humbling himself and saying, I'm willing to do this, and I will be obedient to the Father, even to the point of dying on the cross, which is why it goes on later and says, that's why God highly exalted him and, uh, and bestowed upon him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus willingly laid his life down for us. So not only was Jesus the willing sacrifice, he was also the perfect sacrifice. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses um, 15 and 16 here. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Pause for a moment. There's something about when we know that someone can understand us. There's certain parts of who we are that we don't open up when we don't feel like that person can understand. What this is letting us know, the high priest, and is referring to Jesus, is that he can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Then verse 16 says, therefore, everybody say therefore. 
Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. Now listen to this. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in this. He had to become like us, but not only did he have to become like us, but he had to be spotless and without sin. We see the, the, the testimony um, even in his own trial before his death. What did they say? I find no fault in him. Now, why is this important? If you go back in, in Old Testament scripture, you see this especially in Malachi chapter 1. And in Malachi chapter 1, one of the rebukes of the people were that they were bringing an offering to God that was defiled because they were lame. And basically what they were doing is giving God their leftovers. I remember my, uh, one of my professors in, in seminary, he would say, don't give God your one-eyed goat. In other words, when we offer something to God, it needs to be spotless. And so why was Jesus uniquely qualified to die for our sins? Because, yes, he came as us, but he was like us in every way, tempted but without sin. That's important for us to understand. I couldn't die for your sins, even if I wanted to, which I'm not signing up right now. But, but, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't die for your sins. Why? Because I've got my own. I can't pay your debt when I'm in debt. So Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the willing sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. But check this out. He was the complete sacrifice. Since we're in Hebrews, let's go ahead and stay there. Chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. It says, For Christ did not not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would uh, offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with the blood that is not his own. Let's keep going. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, I want you to understand this. What would happen in the, in, the, in the sacrifices that would take place before Christ came is that year after year they would keep bringing in sacrifices because while they were helpful, they were never complete. But when Jesus Christ came, he came as the once and for all sacrifice to do away with all sin. And so now Jesus doesn't have to be crucified over and over and over again. He died once and for all. And the Bible tells us that he's able to save us to the utmost, which means that we don't have to live in the, in the wages of our sin. We don't have to live in the power of our sin. We don't have to live in the shame of our sin anymore. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, about, about me is that if, um, if I pay for something, I want to make sure that I, I get my money's worth, you know. And um, Now, there are times, and I try not to do this too often, where I'll go through a drive-thru, um, and it's not always a healthy smoothie. Sometimes I'll go through, but if I get a, a, a value meal, you guys ever gone through a drive-thru and you've gotten like your, your burger and you've gotten your drink, but then you drive off and you realize something's missing, like your fries or something like that? Now, I don't, tell, I don't care how much of a rush you're in. You know what you're going to do. You're going to U-turn, and you're going to go back and get your fries. Why is that? Because all you want is what you paid for. Why is it important that we have an understanding to live free from the power and the bondage of sin? 
Because all Jesus wants is what he paid for. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross as the lamb, it wasn't just a partial sin. It wasn't to forgive you, but you still continue to live in the same bondage of the sin over and over again so your conscience can feel good, but you're not really changed. No, no, his, his, his power, there's power in the blood. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 talks about we've been released from our sins by the blood of Christ. We've been set free. And now we live in that which Christ purchased for us. Since I started talking about, started the sermon talking about a movie, I'll end with uh, a movie reference as well. Um, now, I do have to give my disclaimer. Um, by me referencing this movie, I am not promoting um, violence in any shape, form, or fashion, but it makes a great point. Um, a few years ago, uh, I watched a movie called Taken. It looks like y'all were watching it too. Um, <laughs> But in this movie, there's a, a man who had special skills. Yeah, you guys remember that. And um, he had a daughter. His daughter was a bit rebellious. And because of her rebellion, she found herself with her friend in a whole other country. And um, they got caught up with some people that meant them no good. And so they ended up getting taken. And they were uh, literally, they became slaves in an industry. And so she realized that she was now in a predicament because she was unable to free herself. So what she ends up doing is she finds a way to reach out to her father. Her father gets the memo that, oh, my daughter's in trouble. Now, the father realized that the daughter was unable to save herself. And he wasn't going to look at her and say, well, she got herself in trouble. She gets herself out of it. That's not the heart of a father. And so what does he end up doing? he ends up putting those special skills to, to, to work. He, he, he flies all the way to another nation. He gets shot at. He gets beat up a little bit. He um, shoots a few people. Don't promote that. But all that stuff goes on. And then finally at the end of the movie, he's there in front of his daughter. His daughter is beat up. His daughter is ragged, but it's still his daughter. Could you imagine if at the end of the movie, the father's like, hey, it's time to come home. He's gone through all that trouble, flew all the way out there to rescue his daughter. And the daughter looks at him and is like, oh, thanks for coming. I, I really appreciate that. You know, um, I'm pretty good, though. Um, in fact, I think my boyfriend might be coming next week. So I'm just going to stay right here. What would we do? We would start throwing popcorn at the screen. <laughs> like, this woman is crazy. You understand how much of a desperate situation that you're in. And if the father was willing to do all that after your rebellion just to set you free, then when he shows up, you better respond. I started thinking, Hollywood sometimes likes to mirror the real story. We talk about the Christmas season. We're celebrating the fact that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. And his trip was a little bit further than going to another country. He came from heaven to earth just to show us the way from the cross to the grave. You got, okay. He came, and as he was there, he was willing to lay his life down and put himself in harm's way on our behalf. He willingly laid his life down. He was killed, murdered on the cross. And it's our sins that put him on the cross, by the way. But then three days later, he rose again, 
proving that he truly is the son of God, offering hope and forgiveness. And if you think it would be crazy for that daughter in that movie to have looked at her father and say, thanks, but no thanks, I think I'm just going to stay in my bondage, it's, it, it's, it's much, much crazier for us to look at the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has given us and say, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'll just continue to live in the bondage of sin. I think I'll just continue to live in the same things that I used to do. I think I'll just stay here. I'm good. No, no, no. Jesus Christ came. Christmas season is about Jesus Christ coming as part of God's rescue plan to rescue his people who out of our own rebellion found ourselves separated from him. Jesus does for us that which we're unable to do for ourselves. And many times we like to think that, you know, I'm not really that bad, you know, because we, we, can, we compare ourselves to people that we feel like are worse than us. We like to think that we're a lot um, further away from the worst of people and a lot closer, you know, to, to God than we really are. But the reality is, is that whether you grew up selling drugs or you grew up selling Girl Scout cookies, we're all in the same boat is that we're separated from God by sin. And that Jesus Christ did for us, says in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 13, we who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, one of the um, benefits in being in a new environment is that I just don't know everybody here. I don't know if everybody here is you know, loving Jesus and serving him and, and living free from the bondages of sin in their lives. But my guess, even in an amazing place like Abilene, Texas, is that perhaps there are some people in here that have yet to live out the benefit of what Christ purchased by his blood. What a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ by saying, you know what, Jesus I want to receive the gift that you have freely given me. I want to freely receive that, Lord. I've been, I've been playing games. I've heard parts of the Christmas story, but God, open my eyes to see how, how unwavering you have been in your pursuit for me. Some of you all, you don't realize God has been pursuing you for, for, for forever. And he's, been, he's been tapping on your shoulder. He's been coming after you. He's been, he's been reaching out to you. And we've tried to duck and try to hide. Of course, as Pastor Rice Brooks, some of you may have heard him say this, is one of the founders of our Every Nation Ministries. He says, if you're running from God and you're in church, you're not doing a really good job. <laughs> but I do believe that there's someone in here today who says, you know what? I think it's time that I really, I really respond, repent from my sins, turn from my sins, and truly place my faith in Jesus Christ and begin living in the power of of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.